0: Welcome back everybody to the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from the megacity metropolis of Toronto. I'm your host Eric Anthony. This is episode 247 and we're hanging out with our good friend Sam Noir. Sam, my man, how you doing, man? Good to oh, see not you. too
1: bad, not too bad. Good to see you as well. It was actually nice to see you in person a uh, couple of weeks ago when you uh, came downtown and we got to hit uh, BMV Books and uh, yeah, grab grab some grab a meal on a on a patio.
0: A little macaroni and cheese.
1: Oh, that was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was it it was so weird. It it felt. It was weird to feel normal, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, right? It, but it was it was so refreshing. It's those little things in life that were always pleasurable, but when you didn't have it for so long, you realize how wonderful it is. So yeah, the, it was great.
1: The odd joy of, you know, just just uh, thumbing through through comic bits. I think is is a good way to describe it. It's it's just so, so yeah, it is so mundane. It's something you kind of do when you're you're comics fans, but not having that ability for what was it like six months or more? Yeah, something
0: like that. Do you find is it for you mainly uh, comics that you when you thumb through and do that sort of hunter aspect of of the the, the hobby that you find that. Um, I don't know comfort or do you also find it in you know flipping through records or movies or other things like because for me it's all of those things to collect I can I have that sort of Mm -hmm. zen space with all of them
1: um you know what it is it is with comics and then collectibles like I guess uh I mainly sort of a toy and memorabilia collector uh yeah I I go to record stores a lot well uh, pre-pandemic i did go to record stores a lot with friends but it's always one of those things i've, I've drawn the line at cuz you just know you know <laughs> once you fall off that cliff you re- and and believe me i i go to these record stores i am tempted uh very fortunate that i don't own a turntable and even even without a turntable i do own like like a bunch of records for no particular reason other than the fact that i you know i it, it fits in my collection, you know. it's has Star Wars records, or you know the the. I don't know if you remember these the the read along. Oh yeah. Uh, records. Oh yeah. Uh, the Star Wars one had R two D two beeping to turn the page. I think uh, the Disney ones had like Tinker Bell's uh, uh, magic, you know, bell or something to turn the page. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A bunch of those. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, soundtracks and things like that, that I had back in the day. I've, I've got a few, you know, again, from way back when I was uh, in my teens, I have have a few records left over that I just, you know, can't find the heart to, to get rid of. But, yeah, if I were to add record collecting uh, on top of everything, it'd be a little nuts with... Uh, uh, movies. Uh, yeah, I kind of tapped out. Uh, when did I tap out? Uh, just cause you know, it's, it's at, at, uh, what came after DVDs, Blu-rays?
0: Yeah. Blu-rays and Blu-ray? then 4K. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Then 4K. So, so, you know, I, I see people, you know, essentially buying the same movie over and over and over again. And I kind of, uh, Tapped out in and around uh, Blu-rays in terms of uh, buying movies, so uh, I do have crates and crates of uh, VHS tapes. I can't seem to uh, bear getting getting rid of uh, uh, for no particular reason other than you know I had bought them back in the day and and got great joy from them. But yeah, I I got off that merry-go-round, so so had very little in the way of Blu-rays and. Uh, And I still have, again, a fairly substantial DVD collection.
0: Yeah, I find, um, because I I collect records, I I ended up buying a turntable because I wanted to have a certain type of music collection to play uh, in in the apartment and now the townhouse, but uh, movies as well. But then for me, my being able to part or not part with something has a lot to do with uh sometimes the story associated with finding it or that's true the, it's all about
1: the hunt sometimes
0: yeah or or the, you remember that day it's a special day it might the day is better sometimes than what you might have purchased but you keep that thing as sort of memorabilia of that day do you have something like that that you sort of have an attachment to because of the memory
1: i think so i think so you know uh, a lot of like especially uh, rare toy hunting, you know, involves that that kind of story, you know, the trip to Japan mm. to find that rare piece or, or something like that. Uh, the way I kind of, I don't know, it's weird. The way I kind of look at, uh, uh, you know, at least regular books I've read that sort of just sit on the bookshelf or uh, uh, movies uh, that I used to buy, it, uh, it was almost like uh, the way – akin to, to the way, I don't know, a big game hunter would mount and stuff animals around their house. It's like, uh, <laughs> my bookshelf was basically, you know, books that I had uh, read that that were just sitting on my bookshelf as as trophies, right? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. normally, you know, in, in terms of just the regular books that you buy, especially mass market books. Uh, you know, I have a lot of rare books as well, but in terms of mass market books, it's it's more like uh, uh, conversation pieces. When people come over and it's like, oh, I read that book and you have a, but but so many books I, I never uh, read again or mm-hmm. even uh, back in the day, especially when, when at a certain point, I think it was cheaper to to buy DVDs or VHS than it was to to rent them or it yeah. wasn't that much more expensive you yeah. know you'd find things in like the five dollar bin or whatever and that's like that would have cost a rental right so you bought it instead so yeah your my my movie uh shelf as well tended tended to be well it's a reflection of your taste, but uh, after a while uh, when you just like you know, buy to watch and then never watch again. It it does become this whole trophy case of things I've watched.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I find that now I'm I've finally reached a point in life where uh, there's a lot of things where I've watched them and I've only maybe watched them once because there's always something, <laughs> especially with all the streaming services. There's something you haven't seen before or haven't seen in so long or it's brand new. So you're. I guess your mental real estate of where you have space for things just in your head is also running yeah. out because there's so much stuff Absolutely. out there. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. What are some of the things lately you've been watching? Speaking of of movies and shows and all of these kind of trophies we accumulate. Now our <laughs> our trophying is is over. Uh, like social media, we tell everyone what we thought yeah. of something.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. Well. Uh, the the one more thing in terms of. Um, DVDs uh, I, I do miss the extras yeah. and the, the commentaries and stuff yeah, like that yeah, that used yeah. to be my just just you know being a, a film guy back in the day I was always interested to mm-hmm. hear what the you know uh, a director or the actors had to say or uh, or having the different versions you know I loved the, the, what was it? The uh, Brazil, oh my God, the Brazil Criterion Collection, which had like three or four different versions of the movie, and then commentary tracks for that. And then all the extras. Fight Club as well, I think, had a ridiculous amount of uh, uh, commentary tracks. Yeah, did you uh, did
0: you have a favorite commentary track? I know for myself, I loved watching um, all of the the commentary for something like Back to the Future, because that was my favorite movie growing up. And even Superman the movie, hearing all of the different tidbits of information that went into the making of Superman the movie. Uh, what, how about for
1: you? Uh, that was a good box set, actually. Although uh, I can't remember I, I told you this story. It was a really great day because for me, you know, my my childhood was all about those first three Superman movies, including, including uh, the Richard Pryor one, which, you know, most people kind of uh, uh, don't have, you know, a lot of uh, – uh, uh positive things to say about it, but you know, I I enjoyed it enough as a kid that when when I ran out and bought that Superman box set, it was a it was a great day, especially you know being able to see the Donner cut, yeah, at number two, yeah, and you know hearing all that commentary in and around it and comparing it to the the Lester version to the Donner version. Of course, we uh, I'm I'm sure you had this experience watching the the Donner. Uh, cut and Superman one back to back, you get the impression that Superman's answer for everything is going back and, <laughs> and turning back time. You know what I mean? That was, that was his original ending, as as they said from the commentary track. Uh, and and then they opt like originally it was I think one movie and then they split it into two movies. Or yeah, something
0: like that. I from what I understood or remember was that they were filming both movies simultaneously, part one and part two, because he he had written yeah. this. He had written, you know, two movies in one. I guess I guess what you're saying, but it was I think intended to be two movies because you can even see and feel somewhat of the texture in part two. Is very much like the the age of some of the characters. It almost shifts just slightly where you can see mm-hmm. where there's new scenes and where Donner, what they kept from Donner's cut. Oh, absolutely. Cut. Um, yeah. But I think the, the ending of part two was intended to have that silly fly around the world thing. And part yes. one was supposed to end differently, but they didn't have time mm-hmm. to tell that story. So they just inserted part two's ending and said, let's use that as yeah. the end. Which... Yeah. It was cool which, as a kid to see that, but uh, it doesn't of course, age well. But you-
1: <laughs> you see what kind of uh, 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 ending part two ended up having and it made no sense whatsoever, the ending for part two. Whereas I guess had they gone with the the part one ending, the turning back time for the end of part two, it would have made a little more sense, I, I guess. Uh, uh, but yeah, I and, and they, they did uh, fascinating stuff as well because I guess there was the... Audition scenes yeah. that didn't match at all. No. Uh, they, they, yeah, they never shot those scenes, but they still had the auditions. So you had a completely uh, uh, fresh faced Christopher Reeve, who, who wasn't, you know, his hair wasn't dyed black and he wasn't wearing the Clark Kent outfit. He was just sort of uh, Christopher Reeve. Uh, okay, uh, g- yeah. Doing, doing that that honeymoon scene in, in, the, in their, their honeymoon suite.
0: Yeah, and I don't know why they wouldn't have kept that idea at the very least because it, it was such a, I don't know, it was, it was a perfect way for that sort of trust to be established between Lois and Clark and how she figures out he's Superman and how yeah. his innocence and, and naivete would make him give it up to say like, man, you got me. It was a good gotcha yeah. moment where whereas in the theatrical cut that we all know where, you know, he trips into the fire is just uh, <laughs>
1: it's so yeah, silly. Yeah. For sure, whereas, you know, she just figures it out is, is just more natural. But, uh, yeah, so I, I that's one of my favorite uh, box sets. And I think there's something about box sets at the time because uh, the DVD box sets were a little pricier. Yeah. And they tried to make them special. Yeah. Uh, only, only uh, I, I kind of, I've never seen Superman 4. Never? And I pulled the Superman 4. My first act was to pull the Superman 4 uh, DVD, out of the, the, the case and throw it on the coffee table. And I, I used it as a coaster for uh, a great many years. It was just like my my official uh, coaster and still haven't seen Superman 4. How come? Uh, everyone's, uh, even as a kid, I knew there was something off about it. Hmm. Um I've had recommendations that uh for, for people to say, you know what, you should watch it just because it's the last piece of Christopher Reeve that you'll experience as Superman. And it's something new. But I don't know. I, I I just had such a, you know, as a kid, I was kind of like so, you know, you were growing up a little bit and it did look dumb compared to the wonder of the other movies and the reviews came in and by that time you're you're listening to reviews and what other people are saying and everyone was telling me it was just so bad so i yeah i i just never watched it and have never watched it uh i think there's a handful of superhero movies and again people are surprised i've never i've never seen it but you know if i uh, uh batman and robin oddly enough i've never seen Uh, I've seen parts of it. I've seen enough of it on YouTube to know, get, get the gist of it. Uh, I never saw, what was it? uh, Electra or Catwoman. Me neither. Um, I saw Electra, not Catwoman. Yeah. Just movies, you know, you know, this won't even, even as car wrecks, uh, this, this movie won't, won't enrich my life in any way. And I love bad movies, but uh, (laughs) for these things, I I just, it was kind of like, nah, uh, uh, and and I just sort of moved on, but yeah, it's it's uh, to this day my Superman box set is missing the the part four. Uh, what other? Uh, well, the Brazil, the C- Brazil, uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil to me is a masterwork. To so, to own the box set and compare all the different versions and listen to the audio tracks and all the extras, the making of Brazil, like the history of that film and and what it took to get it made and all the controversy and, and infighting about the different cuts of it, uh, are as interesting to me as the movie itself. I mean, there's been books about it. Terry Gilliam's been very vocal about it. So, so yeah, that to me was, was, a, a, a good, uh, uh, what am I? Uh, a good way to spend my time. <laughs> I, I felt uh, the alien box set. I mm-hmm. always liked mm-hmm. uh, just cause there was a lot of, again, you, you want those different versions of aliens in particular. I think there were multiple versions of aliens and then the cutscene from alien uh, that I got to see on the box set for the first time, which was uh, Dallas uh, impregnated and cocooned. I mean, it's a cut scene, but the fact that, you know, uh, non canonically, I guess the the xenomorph, the regular xenomorph, could uh, impregnate someone. Uh, uh, yeah, it was was a super creepy scene because it was that whole like, have you ever seen that cutscene? The no. kill me. No, the kill me. No uh, <laughs> scene, and and uh, you know, uh, I've learned to appreciate Fincher's Alien Three as well.
0: Um. I have now a slight interest, maybe more than a slight interest, in seeing the Eric Stoltz cut of Back to the Future.
1: Yes, and uh, again, I don't think this ever really exists because not enough of it exists. But having seen, uh, I'm guessing you saw uh, the movies that made us? I've
0: seen, I saw half of that episode and... I enjoy that series, but I guess because they make it so comedic that sometimes they take away from the actual content that you could get. Mm -hmm. It's, I just like, uh, I I already know pretty much everything you can tell me about Back to the Future. So this is just, uh, I've seen this all before.
1: So you had read, had you ever read the original uh, screenplay or novelization?
0: I've read parts of it. I was actually reading that novelization and seeing some of the the differences in um, dialogue Mm -hmm. and also like character history.
1: Characterization especially. Because as a kid, I had read the novel because that's how you experience, uh, you know, given, what was the the time frame between theatrical and say, uh, 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 home video? It was like, minimum a year two years sometimes uh minimum you know months and mu- minimum month, months and months so uh the only way you could experience uh, or re-experience was read the novelizations right yeah. so yeah. uh that's how i mean that's how i re-experienced star wars uh, star wars didn't come out uh, on home video until like uh well into the 80s even though we had a crappy vhs copy of it that was just almost impossible to watch it was like so many generations down but I would read and reread the novelizations over and over and over again uh, or or the comic adaptations so
0: yeah I, I it's I remember <laughs> Jurassic Park uh I fell asleep at the theater as a kid watching it but I knew the story pretty well because I had read the novelization for it. Not the Michael mm-hmm. Crichton version, but the movie novelization. So yeah, those those books did have uh, a value probably more than today. The one adaptation that I read before the movie came out was uh, Superman Returns. And it was written by Marv Wolfman. I remember that. And I much more enjoyed the novelization than what they ended up with in the movie. Because there's portions of the movie that you can't really appreciate or... or feel the i guess the gravitas of unless you saw the story behind it like there were so many mm-hmm. little things in in that movie that make way more sense if you had read the book but why should you have to
1: right yeah yeah no there, there's a lot of odd cases like that i think uh one of the uh peter david right uh, for a while there was writing a lot of movie novelizations and i think as a fan of uh you know, uh, and and a creator of uh, original content for comics, he often tried to reconcile things. Uh, I think he wrote the adaptation for Return of the Swamp Thing, which was an out-and-out farce, but he tried to bring some Alan Moore uh, stuff into into his novelization of Return of the Swamp Thing, which makes for an odd read. Or uh, (laughs) I'm trying to remember what other example. Oh, uh, Peter David, of course, uh, wrote the adaptation for the Ang Lee Hulk film, so, you know, mm. being the guy who did a lot of innovation with uh, the Hulk, I actually found that novelization fascinating because he was trying to bring some of his version of the Hulk to that novelization. And in fact, he had written a whole bunch of, uh, well, at least, uh, I'm trying to remember, at least one or two uh, Hulk, uh, Hulk novels that were that were in continuity with the comics, if I remember correctly. I think there was uh, uh, unofficial... Uh, tie in to future imperfect oh Uh, i think it was called what savage beast or something like that that Mm -hmm. that kind of dealt with uh some of the themes he'd revisit later in terms of uh uh, the fear of becoming the maestro
0: Mm. very cool yeah yeah it was a it was a different time when um you could you go to the bookstore and stuff for the movie like you still go now and they have their their mountain of books in adapted to the movie but there was back Mm -hmm. then that was all you had it's true if there was that was the extra content you would get until it came out on a television movie service or you could rent it and renting then wasn't cheap and owning a, a vhs was really expensive too it was a real investment so those books were everything for us back then
1: Oh, absolutely, and and I mean, uh, even the Yeah, I remember like the E. T. novelization was quite weird, uh, and and again, I, I'm I'm sort of uh, digging into my memory in that uh, there was some some weird like stuff uh, in terms of how E. T. felt about the mom in, in that novelization. I I think, uh, really? and I don't blame him. D. D. Wallace is a is a very uh, uh, handsome woman, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh, and they also had a sequel to ET as well uh, in novel form. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that I always they go to his planet. Would, yeah, the Green Planet. Uh, uh, I and again, I always thought uh, they would make that as a kid. Especially, it's like, oh, I got the story before it became a movie, right? Right. Or there was a novel called uh, Splinter splinter of the mind's eye yeah which was Star Wars yeah yeah which was the intended I think uh, had Star Wars been a moderate hit as opposed to a smash blockbuster hit um, they were planning because generally back in those days if they did make a sequel uh, sequels often made less money than the original so even if Star Wars was a modest hit they'd uh, create a lower budget sequel for it. So Splinter of the Mind's Eye was based on, I guess, Lucas's idea for a lower budget sequel. But of course, uh, Star Wars was a hit and he went on to make a, a more, uh, a, a larger, you know, especially bringing in uh, Han Solo yeah. as well. The the sequel was strictly, I think, uh, uh, Princess Leia and Luke on the run from Darth Vader in a, in a, in a, swamp planet or, or something like that yeah but i remember being really excited like at the whole thing this is intended to be the sequel of star wars was yeah. the way it was i think advertised before empire strikes back actually came out
0: what did you think of uh speaking of star wars the jason aaron uh, run that almost serves as a sequel to what happens right after the end of a new hope i i i enjoyed it quite a bit
1: I really liked it. it. It is very much fertile ground to to explore because uh, not a lot of media. I mean, there was the Star Wars comics, which are now non canonical mm-hmm. of that time, but uh, of that period, I think I'm trying to remember who was uh, the the artist of that. It was the Flash artist um, that was drawing that sort of uh, pre Empire Stri- Strikes Back era of. Of uh Star Wars, and it always looked really off-model to me, those those issues. Um God, what what is he was the uh editor in chief of DC Comics. Carmen Infantino. Carmen Infantino, yeah, yeah. Uh he was the Star Wars artist when I well, there's there's the Howard Shaken, you know, the first few issues that adapted it, but then I believe. When I was a kid, at least, picking it off the newsstands, uh, Carmen Infantino was it. And, uh, yeah, it just didn't quite look right to me, if, if that makes sense. But to, to have Jason Aaron's run and finally sort of filling in the gaps, that makes much more sense. Yeah, yeah you know, than the non-canonical uh, Star Wars comics, I I thought was wonderful. And actually I was surprised because uh, uh, the series started off with John Cassidy, right? Yeah. As the original artist. Uh, and I thought, uh, oh, this is this is brilliant. Uh, I, I love John Cassidy's art, but uh, uh, the fact that Stuart Immoman Im- came in next, I think, and then just blew blew it all away, like uh, Stuart Immoman was doing phenomenal stuff uh uh i think he's one of at at this point based on that run i'd say he he might be one of the top uh uh, star wars comics artists in my mind
0: yeah and it was very cool how they simultaneously had the darth vader stuff tying in or, or taking place at the same time and then there was those panels that were in both issues just from slightly... Oh, yeah, yeah. I love stuff like that, and I thought that was so cool. Yeah,
1: the Vader down, uh, I think, was told from... Or that was the crossover, right? That was a
0: crossover. There was the ending of issue six in both series that end uh, up with him, uh, you know, realizing who Luke Skywalker, he gets his name.
1: Yeah, told from the different points of view.
0: Yeah, and it's it's him, you know, gripping his spoilers, him gripping his fist as the, you know... uh, Imperial officer leaves the room and he cracks mm-hmm. the glass all around him on the ship. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a beautiful
1: moment. That was a great moment. And actually, you know what? I, I'd have to say uh, I actually like the Darth Vader uh, series uh, uh, best of those because they were all kind of, I, if I remember correctly, uh, they were all kind of in and around the same era and kind of interconnected, right? Yeah, like, yeah. There was a Directly 4 issue Princess Leia series, uh, beautiful art by the Dodsons, right? Terry Dodson and his wife Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think written by Mark Wade, and I thought that was a great because uh, because it was about Princess Leia going off and dealing with the fact that uh, her planet Alderon and all the people of Alderon uh, that weren't on the planet when it got blown up were now sort of a lost people, right? Uh, and and I think that crossed over in some of in some story aspects but uh, yeah Darth Vader was my favorite if only for the two evil versions of uh R2D2 mm, and C3PO yeah. Yeah. uh and it makes and, and uh, this is sort of the cleverness of Karen Gillan to take the fact that Darth uh, Anakin Skywalker built uh, C three P O.
0: Right,
1: you know it's official canon now. Like we we accept this, I guess, uh, <laughs> begrudgingly. But turning it on its ear and and just assuming, okay, uh, Anakin likes make, making droids. You know that's his that's his jam. Uh, why wouldn't he, have, as Darth Vader, build his his evil version of C three P O and R two D two? So uh, that was what triples triple zero and. Uh, BT something. I don't remember. Uh, uh, it's been a while yeah, since I read just, it. Well, it was just a joy to see these dark, mirror, uh yeah. versions of R2-D2 and C-3PO who are just assholes. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> uh, 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 C- C-3PO is insufferable to begin with, but just imagine if you were an <laughs> asshole. And, and in my, even in my mind, you know, uh, 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 Triple Zero and BT like, like, talked very similarly yeah. to to 2 R- to he got to the voices and,
0: right he got the and, voices yeah. right of those characters i felt i could it's like the dialogue it's how they would say it at their speed the diction mm-hmm. w- just felt like i could hear those actors sp- speaking those words
1: yeah but just let anthony daniels go a little just a just a hair like like colder, yeah, you know, because because he always had a very C3PO. The the peel was a had a very warm, but just imagine if if Anthony Daniels did it with just just a slight Sarcasm. bit more. Uh, yes yeah, sarcasm and and even monotone you yeah. know so that that it would be more chilling that that this protocol joy just hates you and wants you to die and would <laughs> kill you uh, uh, give <laughs> given the opportunity right yeah uh, and actually there was if I remember correctly yeah there was a crossover Um as well, where I think uh, he ended up, I guess, I guess uh, the evil protocol droid had his arms blown off or something like that and ended up like stealing C-3PO's arms.
0: <laughs> I don't remember. I got to reread it. I,
1: yeah. I, I enjoyed
0: everything that I've read from that original run, the Kieran Gillen and the Jason Aaron, but I don't remember so yeah. much of it. It's time to reread it.
1: For sure. For sure. No, I, I, it was there. Yeah. It was gleeful that Darth Vader series as as much as, yeah, I enjoyed the star Wars series. Uh, I, I was giddy while reading and and the character of Dr. Afra was terrific as well. Basically, uh, their version of Indiana Jones Mm. in star Wars, it makes perfect sense and she's a terrific character and I'm hoping uh, that she gets Disney Plus at some point. I think she would be a, a great character and yeah. a great premise right. to, for a star, a different type of Star Wars universe. Uh, a character, especially if uh, it is true to the the comic book version, and and she is kind of Darth Vader's uh, uh, either minion or ex minion, depending on which time period you want to pick up on and yeah she's running around with uh bt and triple zero
0: yeah and she could she could i think i don't know how her story ends in the comics i haven't read that run but if if she's still alive and kicking and nothing happened to her she could run into mandalorian which would be very cool oh
1: absolutely i think that would be that would be fantastic and again uh i jumped off the series uh when karen Gillen did, and I think they restarted it with uh, with a new number one and a new creative team. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was kind of funny after when Dar- as Darth Vader was winding down. I was kind of like, uh, "Oh, that's too bad." I was really en- enjoying that series, but all good series, you know, will will end, and you know that the story, you know, you know how the Darth Vader story continues. But the fact that he spun off Doctor Afro, I was completely not expecting it, and it turned out to be a a, a great series as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, people People are uh, – it's tough for people to pick their favorite with what they did, what M- Marvel did post, I guess, them purchasing Lucasfilms and the New Hope had co- – like, not the New Hope, sorry, Force Awakens. All those books that they launched and even continued, I've only heard uh, good things about the stuff that I haven't read and really enjoyed the stuff that I liked. Uh, I haven't spoken – Well, the fact
1: that they – go oh, ahead.
0: go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Oh, uh, the fact that they put A-list talent. Yeah on that, that as well, I think made all the difference in the world. Like the, the writing was, was really sharp.
0: Yeah. I haven't spoken about it much on this podcast yet. I don't even think I I have spoken about it with my wife on potential podcasts, but I never posted them, but I'm going to ask you, what did you think of Loki?
1: I liked Loki. I I wasn't expecting it to be a cliffhanger. So I was kind of expecting more of a conclusion, Mm -hmm. but yeah, this, this is basically the start of, well, you know, I, I, I well, let's jump back because we <laughs> talked about, you know, the different theories, right? right? And if I'm remembering correctly, the theory I shared with you was like, you know, uh, Wanda in WandaVision breaks space and Loki in Loki breaks time. And then this sets off the multiverse of madness. Uh, we didn't quite see that in... Uh, Uh, WandaVision, she didn't quite break, you know, space, but the fact that she is headed for the multiverse of madness, I believe, you know, suggests that, you know, she will contribute to this chaos that's about to be unleashed. And and yeah, it does look like uh, Loki did uh, uh, mess up uh, time, but it turns out it was Loki variant Mm -hmm. who did it and uh, did it purposefully. Yeah. rather than accidentally like i i just assumed you know cuz he went off with the tesseract and would have branched that he would just be jumping around with the tesseract the whole time uh trying to evade capture as as uh he he broke time you know causing all the branching that the right. ancient one had had warned about in right. in uh, uh uh endgame was it Endgame? yeah endgame Right. During the time heist. Yes. Uh, that's what my assumption is. And the fact that it kept... Uh, uh, yeah, I didn't know what to expect uh, from episode to episode. And, it, and every time I set an e- expectation, it would go in a completely different direction. So I did really end up enjoying Loki just because... Uh, yeah, did we talk about Black Widow? I, I'm not no. sure if we did. No, we never but, did. Um, to me, like watching watching Black Widow... I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I I enjoyed the ex- you know the experience. It felt like a little more like old school Marvel, uh, but it felt very paint by numbers to me. Like I I was able to predict quite early uh, most of the story beats. Right. And and can we enter into spoil? You've yeah, seen it, right? I've seen it. Yeah. Spoilers. Uh, can we enter into spoiler territory. Go for it. We just announced let, it. Just to let people know. Um, yeah. So so Taskmaster is is kind of the big bad. Mm-hmm in this, at least in terms of of you know the unexpected or the expected supervillain. And early on, because the Red Room trained specifically girls, uh, and and the way they were sort of presenting Taskmaster, I was like, oh, this has got to be a woman. Mm. And then the moment they mentioned so and so's daughter, I'm mm. like, who else if 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 she's a woman, who else could Taskmaster be? Mm-hmm. So, so you know, I kind of, I kind of saw it all coming. There was, there wasn't a lot of surprises. Uh, whereas Loki, uh, I think that that was the joy of it—just, just not knowing. You know, you you make your predictions, you make your guesses, and yeah, essentially none of my predictions for Loki. Well, the outcome of Loki being that Loki broke time, right, right, uh, came true, but but in terms of execution, not in any way that I expected it. And certainly the uh, enchantress slash uh, Sylvie slash Loki variant was a, a an amazing twist on yeah. on, on, a, on classic characters, and and I loved. Uh, Richard E. Grant as uh, classic comic book Loki. He was he was amazing. Like, I, I, I hope he shows up. Well, you know, this is the thing. He had a glorious, what was it? A Send glorious. Yeah. Ending? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. He has purpose, a phrase. Glorious purpose. Uh, uh,
0: At his death. That's what he announced. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I'm kind of like, you know what? This really worked. Uh they got a good actor. He came in, did his job. Maybe, maybe he doesn't need to hang around, you know, mm-hmm. although it would be would be kind of fun to see this older version of Loki be a big bad. Um yeah, it was very satisfying. Yeah. It was very satisfying. And Tom Hiddleston, uh, and as they said, uh him and Thor have concluded their arc. It's played out, and now he has a whole new thing to do.
0: Yeah. It was my favorite of the, the Disney Plus Marvel shows so far. Uh, for, Absolutely mine as well. Yeah, and I think for the same reasons that you mentioned, it was unpredictable. I, I tend sometimes to do that. I haven't done it lately, but in the past, you know, you watch with fans' eyes, looking at, oh, that's this, and that's going to be so-and-so, and you're trying mm-hmm. to figure it out with your comic book knowledge and watching for Easter eggs when you should just be watching yeah. the movie. And... Um, with Loki, there was no point. The only thing that I, and this was probably established that I, did, I didn't know, but watching with my wife, I said, the statue in the middle, whenever they keep panning to those statues, I go, that's, I think that's Kang. They're, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that was the only thing that I could think of. And the TVA, I felt like I had remembered that from um, a Fantastic Four, Walt Simonson story, where they, they end up traveling through time encountering There's numerous good. Kangs. So that, that's yeah. where the TVA kind of rang a bell. But other than that, I had no idea what to expect. Yeah,
1: I, uh, there are a lot of predictions about, about Kang. I actually thought they would go more in the, because uh, again, I thought it was a finite series. So I was just assuming that it'd be sort of an Agatha moment. You know, uh-huh. Agatha, it was Agatha all along moment. And so one of the established characters would be set up because rather than introducing, you know, someone from left field like Kang, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, oh, maybe it'll be revealed that the woman uh, who kind of runs the TVA uh, might be, might either be a Kang. I know in the comics she's uh, Kang's uh, love interest, but yeah. maybe she's a Kang variant or uh, uh, all along. Right, you know, right. rather than introducing a whole new actor and character that wasn't there or, uh, the surprise, surprise twist. Owen Wilson, you know, was, was behind this all, or, uh, the most predictable one, uh, would have been, had it been a Tom Hillston, you know, who had successfully done. Cause this is the contrast between Loki at the beginning of the show where he was, I'm going to take over the TVA. Maybe, you know, a, a good way. It had the series ended. You know, had this series been a self-contained thing, I thought the obvious direction they they seemed to be going in was that they'd run into the Tom Hiddleston that got what he wanted but still wasn't happy. And that that was kind of the lesson that that Loki would you know had already learned before encountering himself. Right. You know, by by meeting Sylvie. Right. right, and it's actually kind of in a in a psychotherapy kind of way. It is kind <laughs> of a fascinating because uh, because you know the first rule in, in a lot of this sort of uh, uh, therapy or counseling or is is self love, right? Mm. Uh, uh, loving yourself in order to love other people or in other in, in order to help other people or in order to to be able to to fully so- you know psychologically you have to be able to love yourself, right. Otherwise, how do you, you know, function with your other relationships if, if right. uh, you, you can't love the, the person or you can't uh, have self-care, right? right? If you, if you uh, constantly put others' happiness above your own self-care, you know, that's not a, a great thing either. So, so as, a, as a first lesson, you know, in in a in a rather heavy handed metaphor of of self love, uh, <laughs> yeah. I honestly didn't think they would go there. Like we joked about it when it seemed to be hinted at, and I can't remember the second or third episode. It was the third or fourth episode, right? Where you saw a little bit of. Uh, I think the third
0: uh, when they it was like the third episode was a little bit of a slower pace, kind of explaining. Yeah. Setting setting up story to go forward, and I think they kind of hint at it there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so we joked about it at the time in terms of the the. I'm doing finger quotes here. Yeah. The self love, you know, the, <laughs> ma- the masturbatory nature of of how that relationship would work physically, but you know what, the fact that they went there emotionally. Right. Uh, in all seriousness, really worked well. Uh, I didn't think it would, but they they really pulled it off because you do have that all. Oh, my God, what's happening moment? You know, is, is this incest? Is it, No, it's not. It's it's what is this? It's this masturbation. Like, like yeah. what's going on here? That's yourself. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but they yeah, again, well done. Well done in terms of creating that relationship, executing that relationship, and then toppling that relationship over somewhat at the, at the end. Now, have you read Avengers Forever? Yes. Uh, how much of this do you feel is Avengers Forever?
0: I was thinking about that because as I was ex- trying to explain to my wife the um, presence of Kang and, and how dangerous he could be, but also yeah. how complicated it could get because this is the 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 question I oh, ask yeah. a lot of people is that are we about to get into territory with these films where now it's much more it's going to be for a fandom it'll still do what it yeah. does but we're getting into like that breaking point like are you going to stay on the boat or are you like ah, I'm lost now yeah I don't the have Disney Plus yeah yeah so is, Kang Kang is uh. Yeah, they could do an Avengers forever. And that's a, mm-hmm. an amazing story.
1: Yeah, yeah. And is that the story they're, they're drawing from? Because to me, I think this version of Kang, uh, to me, is Immortus. Yeah. In, at the, yeah. At the end, you know, the one, the and, and yeah, they they don't identify him as such. I think, uh, what, what do they call him? Uh, the one at the end of, they've combined him with another character. The yeah. the one at the end end of all things, or, or something like that.
0: He who remains.
1: He who remains. Yes, yes, yes.
0: It kind of made me think of um, a lot of the the other Jim Starlin stuff, where he has you know the the Living Tribunal and eternity mm-hmm. and infin- Everyone kind of holds court and 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 talks about whatever cataclysmic, yeah, yeah. universal things about to occur. So I was like, could it be one of them? Could we be headed into the Living Tribunals? I for, the One Who Knows All, I think it's what it's called. Yeah, and, yeah. So that was cool. You're right. They did kind of combine that.
1: It will be interesting as we get in more and more into sort of, I guess, Doctor Strange's territory and yeah. maybe the cosmic mm-hmm. uh, uh, metaphysical territory. If, like, will they bring in concepts like the Living Tribe? Like, I, I, I know um, there was a cut scene of the Living Tribunal from um, Endgame
0: really uh
1: yeah yeah and and i'm trying to remember the details it did have something to do with like tony stark and, is it
0: in Is it and, in the the dvd um, set or
1: i don't know if it's in the dvd set or if it's just sort of uh cutscene that someone had talked about oh, okay uh but if i'm remembering correctly there was some sort of uh living tribunal like within the the gems or if, if thanos is Sort of sucked into the the gems or whatever. Uh, I think there was amo. will we'll, we'll have to Google this afterwards. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do go in if they lean fully into that uh, whole like eternity or in the the in betweener. All these all these embodiments of, uh, you know, metaphysical embodiments, you know, uh, eternity as, as the represent, as the anthropomorphic representation of the universe or the uh, in-betweener as, as the, the, you know, uh, uh, you know, embodiment of of the inner conflict of good versus evil, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it, well, it, I don't know. It, it, With
0: the I, Eternals, I mean-, I mean, if you if you if you have the balls to make the Eternals into a feature film, mm-hmm. nothing would surprise me because I, I don't I don't know anybody who's a hardcore Eternals fan or of a must read no. Eternal story. Like you got the Neil Gaiman and John Romita series and the yeah. stuff from from I think it was Peter Gillis. Was it Peter Gillis yeah. in the eighties? But other than that, it's I don't know. I don't know any must-read. Like, read. Even,
1: even, yeah, the original Kirby run felt like, you know, uh, uh, watered-down watered Kirby. Like, you know, it was Chariots of the God Kirby. It was watered-down uh, Kirby to me, at least. You know, I, I got a lot more joy from stuff like, you know, of of the 70s, uh, Devil Dinosaur, even, or Machine Man, than I did uh, with The Eternals. Or even the, that goofy Black Panther run. He did or his Captain America, you know, uh those in my mind stand out a lot more than than the Eternals, which has never even, yeah, Neil Gaiman. I I I think every time I I want to like the Eternals more than I actually do, especially this latest Karen Gillen run. And I'm I'm a fan like I've as I've said, I'm a fan of Karen Gillen's work not the doctor who uh, uh actor yeah, yeah. the writer who yeah. who's done great work recently on die and uh oh god what's that series um wicked and divine wicked and divine yeah yeah and and even had a run on loki and young avengers yep. uh uh that was that was pretty good uh yeah i am quite a fan of of karen Gill- uh oh god what's the uh there's an avatar comic where Karen Gillan wrote, uh, what if there were, if the, the, uh, world, the fight, the arms race in world war two were with superheroes. Um, mm. yeah, I'm trying to remember what the name of that title is, but, uh, yeah, he's always done sort of interesting work. And I went in pretty excited to you know, see his spin on the eternals and yeah, there's just something that, that, doesn't quite uh, grab me, and and uh, I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan, and and even the Eternals kind of doesn't exist as high up on on my uh, ladder of Neil Gaiman work. Yeah, that uh, that I enjoy.
0: I don't know anybody who who puts it in, you know, a revered shelf of must read comics. I know it exists. Mm-hmm. I know as far as the Kirby art of that time is concerned and his ideas and concepts and things like that. They're trying to, you know, they've printed omnibus and, and uh, yeah. a king. size. I don't know if you've seen that giant sized book that they made of the eternals, 18 issues that <laughs> Kirby. It's huge. It's like, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how big it is, but it's beyond a, an absolute. And so it's like they're, they're putting it out there, but I, again, it, I have no, I, I'm interested in the movie because of the audacity to make it.
1: Yeah. But the trailer didn't grab me. It just seemed very flat. Uh, and I, I hope I, you know, I want the movie to succeed. I want the movie to be good. I want to be entertained Mm -hmm. by all Marvel movies, but uh, yeah, there was just something that, that, that didn't quite grab me about the trailer or even the, the premise of, of the Eternals, the whole, uh, yeah, chariots of the gods thing that he was riffing on. Um,
0: yeah, do you think it's a way to introduce like the Celestials? For I think so. Is that the main? Is it more of like a stepping stone movie?
1: I think so. Although it, it, I, I feel like the Eternals was kind of the, they, because the Inhumans was the big one that they had kind of announced way back, and then they did it as a TV movie instead. And I honestly think they would have had a lot more uh, success with uh, Inhumans. Yeah. Movie with a budget rather than a TV show with a limited budget, you know, and, and yeah. a weekly uh, uh, episodic premise. Uh, in terms of Kirby creations, at least, and I'm always rooting for the underdogs too, right? Like I'm the one who who was so excited about a Guardians of the Galaxy uh, film star, starring Groot and Rocket Raccoon, uh, Ant Man. I was I was always rooting for, uh, uh, especially. You know, at the time when it was originally an Edgar Edgar Wright film, that's right. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been a while since there's been a Marvel movie that I've been so indifferent to. You know, I'm even kind of uh, cautiously optimistic about Shang Chi. You know, them sort of going into the wushu martial arts genre and seeing how they they quote unquote Marvelize that.
0: Yeah, no that 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 looks like it'll be a lot of fun. It at this point I'm I'm willing to get on any ride that they're selling tickets for on the yeah. DC side. On the other hand, I don't, I don't understand what they're doing.
1: You're not excited about the suicide squad this weekend. I'm, I'm kind of excited about that.
0: That I'll watch. It's more the James
1: Gunn. Yeah, I'm all in.
0: Yeah. For, for that I'm aspect, for that aspect. Yes. I, I would be all the in for that. Only
1: one I'm, I'm really kind of excited about. And, and again, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by Aquaman. You know, I, I I was going in kind of very indifferent uh, to Aquaman in, in in maybe almost the same sense that, that I felt about feel about the uh, Eternals just because up to that point, you know, I was very indifferent about DC movies in general other than Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah.
0: It, and at this point, I, I can't keep up with what's a movie, what's HBO Max, what's... Yeah. Uh, you know, they're saying that, J.K. Simmons will remain Commissioner Gordon. Ben Affleck oh, is going. Okay. Ben Affleck is going to do another Batman movie, but then there's the Matt Reeves Batman and this yeah. new Batgirl, the uh, the Dominican Dominican Republican girl cast for. It. Like it just none of it makes sense of what's what. What do I follow? What's what's where do these stories take place? I am. A little bit more interested in mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan doing the Valzad. Um, it's announced that he's going to produce that and probably start. Sorry,
1: what what is that? Uh, Valzad.
0: It's the Valzad is another universe or another Earth Superman where it actually looks like Michael B. Jordan. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's the one people were saying. Why are you going to make a, oh. a, a Clark Kent? Be cast by a black guy, why don't you just go with the real black oh, Superman? this
1: is the JJ is this the J.J Abrams uh, Superman?:
0: No JJ. J. Abrams Superman they're doing it as a period piece uh, by Tanahisi Coates with a oh, okay. black ca- Clark Kent, but taking place I guess in civil rights, which oh, is very right. on the nose and strange but then yeah. for me, but then there are people were saying, well why don't you why don't we get like a, an icon movie? If, if that's what we want to do. Or maybe do a, a Valzad. Because this is a, a character in the D C Pantheon that is a black character, black Superman. Oh
1: is this is this President Superman?
0: I don't know if he's President Superman either. I am not so okay. sharp in, on in my in Grant
1: mo- Morse because uh uh yeah, Grant Morrison's uh uh African American Superman is is president superman
0: that's right like
1: he was he was uh, uh you know based i think on on obama that's right i believe if i if i'm remembering correctly from multiversity
0: yes i don't i think there was another superman created um i don't know if it was tom taylor some story that he oh, okay. wrote i'm not 100 percent sure but um yeah there's just there's all this Different stuff. So many TV shows, and there's HBO, HBO Max coming out with their own series. I mm-hmm. I don't know what's what. I hope they're all good. Anim-
1: <laughs> You've read Animal Man, right? Uh, we've talked about this.
0: I read. Did you I, get
1: all the way through? No,
0: I haven't read all the way through.
1: Grant Morrison's. Oh my God. Okay. Um, you will. You will actually uh, uh, at the end of Grant Morrison's Animal Man run, mm-hmm. you will uh, encounter his original uh African American Superman and I just the, the name was just so pop culturally wonderful uh I I it, it was gleeful for me I just giggled and giggled I I was a teenager when I first read it I got the reference and loved the reference uh to his original african-american superman that had maybe like a, a one or two panel uh appearance yeah. uh, at the end of grant morrison's run i i, I you'll when when you run into it uh, you'll know what i'm talking about
0: okay i'm gonna look for it i'm looking yeah i'm looking forward to that do you um f- with fandom people complain over everything they mm-hmm. complain over uh, voices being miscast So it shouldn't be a shock that people will complain that a person seems to be miscast. But Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but for me, I like to see, I guess, my visual memory of of how a character's looked throughout their publication come off the page. That's all I care about.
1: It's funny to this day, like anytime someone asks me, and it's a weird thing to think about. But I think recently uh, someone was saying, oh, the, uh, the the new Superman and Lois show, you you'd like it. You're you like Smallville and all that kind of stuff. And and this is very, cla- you know, this feels very classic Superman. And I think my first question was, uh, I, you know, I have one question. Does he wear the little red underwear on the outside? Um, and, and I don't know why that makes a difference for me in terms of the visual. Right. You know, it's it's not like I'm upset or anything about about you know him running around with the just just the blue long johns without the little red <laughs> tidy you know uh, little red uh, trunks. But to me, it, it's just the iconography, right? It yeah. it, it, it just uh, to to me, Cavill is the right guy to play Superman. Just uh, put a little, you know, give him the lean into it, you know, uh, give him the little red, red swim trunks and give him the spit curl. Yeah. He looks great with a spit curl. He had one in Man from Uncle, you know, let him play breezy Superman, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I feel that the one thing with the DC universe I feel is the, the, the Trinity are perfectly cast. And they're wasting yes. away these perfectly cast characters who pretty much, uh, at least physically, their fa- like all their facial expression, their, their body language before they even speak. You, mm-hmm. you see them walking towards you and you say, that's, that's them. That's spot yeah, yeah. on. Yeah. It, it, whether you like Ben Affleck or not, whether you like, think Gal, Gad- Gal Gadot is muscular enough or tall, it, mm-hmm. they're perfect. But their movies are becoming so shit. And it's so upsetting. Like, the, the last Wonder Woman yeah. movie was laughable.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I This is the thing. I'm so, so indifferent. And the way I look at it, like, you know, superhero movies these days, I think I've said this before. Uh, they're like buses. If you don't like that one, there'll be another <laughs> one along long in five minutes. The yeah. reboots happen so quickly. You, you know what I mean? It's like. Uh, it really doesn't uh, matter. And and what what ha- at this point what haven't we seen? Uh, uh, where, where's the where's the 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 interesting angles to to take it in? And and partly with this whole with the Batman thing is it's it's we've had such great Batman movies in the form of Nolan. You know, I'm still a fan of the Tim Burton movies. So so it's it's. It's tough when when you've had such iconic, or or even you'll always compare uh, uh, Superman to Christopher Reeve, right? Oh, uh, there's there's always these very unfair comparisons because there have been already been movies, and now you have to top not only you know the movies themselves, but that child, that warm childhood comforting feeling that nostalgia, and I think that's why people get angry. And you know, I mean, I mean, I had don't be toxic about it. It's, it's it's okay to be upset, but at the same time, it's not like they're erasing your childhood. You know, it, it, it's right. just, it, it's a movie. Uh, there'll be another one along in, in, in five minutes is the way I look at it. You know, it, it, uh, I was, I was never interested in the Snyder cut. I was kind of intrigued by, uh, Joss Whedon taking over the Justice League, but, again, it seemed to be a very compromised vision. And uh, I think it would have been interesting to give Joss Whedon the Justice League from start to finish and see what would have happened. You know, it won't happen now, just given uh, the the controversies that have surrounded Joss Whedon since. But he did a fantastic job on The Avengers. So what if, like, you know, uh, uh, James Gunn, you know, going over and them handing him Suicide Squad. What if he had left the, you know, he left Marvel uh, after the Avengers and they just gave him Justice League instead and see what he would have done with it, right? Instead, you have a compromised vision that's not Zack Snyder and it's not Joss Whedon, it's some hybrid that's fighting with itself. Yeah. Uh, and I get, I get why people really wanted to see the Snyder cut. And I'm sure a lot of folks are happy that the Snyder cut came out uh i still haven't seen it you know i'm i'm not inclined to see it until i have time to to <laughs> you know how, how many hours is it four, four, hours. four hours if yeah, you treat yeah, it if you
0: like, treat it like uh it, it can be treated episodically because they it's oh, broken down enough. into parts so you can stop at a specific part and pin it mm-hmm. and then go back to it later it's not that hard to break break apart
1: there's so many more movies I want to see rather than another version of that movie that it was pretty indifferent.
0: And um, you should watch those uh, other ones instead.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, you know, the, uh, the banana, uh, uh, our, our friend uh, Becca Kinsey just informed me that there's a delightful uh, reboot of the 1970s uh, characters, uh, the banana splits where they've reinvented it as a horror movie and I can't wait to watch this or, you know, uh, Ted Lasso's out now. I, I, I'm still trying to find time to watch that. I haven't even watched Last Weekend's Rick and Morty, which I'm, I'm loving this season's Rick and, Rick and Morty. So just even trying to find time for the stuff you want. Uh, although I am, I am of the uh, release, the or cut. I'm on board with that. Cause I, I do think, uh, is an interesting director and I would be curious cause he, he does have a voice and I would be interested in seeing suicide squad as he intended it.
0: The original suicide squad you're saying?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Cause that was, uh, that was a bit of a mess, you know, with a very appealing cast. Yes. Uh, uh that that and the movie ultimately was completely nonsensical. It it made no sense whatsoever. So I'm intrigued at what he intended, and I would go and watch. Uh, hopefully, it's not a three or four hour movie. But you know, if it was a two and a half hour air cut uh, that they do for HBO Max, I'd I'd be intrigued, especially if the Suicide Squad is successful.
0: Right so is it the movie that he made? It was completed.
1: Uh, apparently, uh, he had made kind of a, a, fairly dark movie and, uh, the company that made the trailer, like, I think there was a trailer that came up for suicide squad that gave it sort of a, a lighter, uh, tone, uh, but got a lot of buzz because it got people excited about Suicide Squad, and so if I'm remembering correctly, um, the situation was uh, they took the movie away from Air in terms of his his final cut and handed it to the trailer comp, the, the company that cut the trailer. I see. Is is my understanding? I'll have to do. Di- I you, we should dig deeper into that, but. Uh, Recently, well, it's it's been a hashtag all along, but I think recently it's been a revived hashtag because David Ayer has said that uh, has has come out again amidst the uh, new new uh, publicity for the Suicide Squad, saying that uh, the the original movie wasn't his movie. He disowns that movie, so uh, hashtag release the Ayer cut has has apparently resurfaced on on social media and and while it's not something I I will go out and campaign for (laughs) if they do release it I am inclined to to watch it
0: right have you uh anything you've been reading lately that is uh meeting your fancy as they say
1: oh boy um Immortal Hulk is heading for its conclusion and I'm I'm very very excited again I've 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 been so busy uh, uh uh lately in terms of uh you know I'm running like a whole bunch of crowd funding campaigns and I've gotten involved in some very interesting uh uh publishing initiatives so it's it's taking up a lot a lot of my time but uh yeah I've got a lot of great stuff on my read pal. we we were talking uh uh about Ed Brubaker and the fact that you're digging into Ed Brubaker yeah. and there's a new, like, you know, his new, him and Sean Phillips, their new model is releasing graphic novellas. So they have a, a new series called Reckless, uh, which I'm really enjoying. I read, I quite enjoyed the first volume and the second volume is just sitting there uh, waiting to be read or Barry Windsor Smith's Monster, which looks like a, a big honkin uh, graphic novel. I, I want to find the, time when i i do have time to sit down to read it start to finish this is uh his graphic novel that's been like what 33 decades in the making really? uh originally started off as a hulk story huh. and in fact uh the history of this hulk story was uh, he started this hulk story i think pages of it was sitting in a, a drawer at a marvel editorial or you know some Early draft of it when Bill Mantlow came across it and plagiarized it for what was one of my all-time favorite. I think during the Hulk uh uh episode of, of your show with Kevin or no, with Casey, Casey. I talked about this right. being one of my favorite um issues of the Hulk. Uh it was issue like I wanna say 313, mm-hmm. where it was revealed uh uh, Bruce Banner's abusive childhood was how his mind fractured and that the Hulk was living inside him all along and was just waiting for the bomb to release his anger and frustration at, at his childhood and the abuse he suffered at the hands of his father. And, and uh, yeah, apparently this was uh, stolen, plagiarized, Uh, by Bill Mantlo from Barry Windsor Smith and a a huge reason why Windsor Smith left Marvel. So he took that original story and over the last three decades has reworked it into its own thing, its own story, even though you can kind of, I'm told, kind of still see the remnants of that Hulk story in it.
0: But it's so long ago that I guess a lot of readers now, this might be their first time reading this and maybe they'll see a connection between yeah. if, if it if it kind of mirrors it the connection of the psychology of the Hulk in this, this character is. maybe but that's that's uh, yeah that's intriguing to know that someone's this is like their labor of love this thing that they've been waiting to share with the world for so long is finally here that's exciting.
1: Yeah, but I've been yeah way, way behind on, on my reading. Uh, Immortal Hulk is, is sort of my, my uh, must read. Uh, Rorschach is, is interesting. Again, I, I can't remember if we talked about it on this podcast, but uh, uh, there's, there's a moment in there where they introduce a real-life uh, comics creator that's a contemporary of the Watchmen era. Like in terms of his his profile, okay, uh, okay. A, 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 as uh, and yeah, this is either absolutely brilliant or the shark jumping moment of the series, and and I'm a couple of issues behind now, but I've been enjoying Rorschach. I've been enjoying the build up. I'm just hoping uh, the land, you know, uh, uh, Tom King and and uh, the artist who's phenomenal. I can't remember his name. Uh, I hope they stick that landing.
0: Yeah, I just. I just started reading it yesterday, um, The Lady Killer by Joelle Jones.
1: I love The Lady Killer.
0: It is so there's, good.
1: It there's two so series, right? Yeah, I is, have the, my... the
0: library edition. It's, um, it's a bit bigger than... It's about the size of an absolute. I don't know if you can see it here.
1: Oh, wow.
0: It's a nice... Okay. Yeah, it's pretty big. I
1: am going to have to go out and hunt that because the art alone would be worth that extra format
0: it, it definitely I is
1: love the art the story again uh gleefully subversive because it's set in what the 1950s 60s 60s yeah, 60s yeah so you've got a lot of the sort of uh housewife sitcom tropes yeah uh in there that they're they're turning on its ear uh a little, not not quite like WandaVision, but uh, they're playing on on those tropes. And Joelle Jones just nails the era, the visual of the era, the fashion of the era, the style of the era. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I find her story absolutely uh, 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 delightful. It's it. it, it. Are, have you have you finished it yet? Or are you I
0: have. Started? three issues to go um so i'm on the second series okay. and I'm, uh, I'm i'm gonna probably wrap it up after we finish recording but it is tremendous i i saw the library oh, edition absolutely. on the shelves and i'm like oh that's a nice you know we in comic collecting we definitely judge books by their cover uh, yes so the yes. the presentation of a collection always intrigues me first Makes me say, maybe <laughs> I need to own that book and put it on my shelf because it's just a nice looking book to begin yeah. with. But this book, interiors, everything about it, it's perfection.
1: I love and coming. The covers were great too, like for the original series. I'm sure they're preserved in, in this volume.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's all there. So it's, it's one of those. I, I was thinking before we recorded comics that can only. It really shows what the medium can do. Whereas there's a lot of, a lot of the stuff you read sometimes from um, like the independent when, when they do creator own, they seem like TV show pitches a lot of times. They're mm-hmm. written in five, six issue arcs and that's a completed story. That could be a season. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's refreshing to come across stuff that it seems the reverse happened where this should have been a show, but it's this instead absolutely it's been adapted absolutely and i feel that she she really nailed it and i think if i if i saw the news article correctly that um blake lively has been cast to play
1: oh that's brilliant
0: yeah so that that, that show is, is being, so brilliant yeah yeah it, it's gonna be
1: ryan reynolds better half.
0: that's right that's right
1: have you seen the movie with her and the pitch perfect girl kendra what's your name um the girl from Pitch Perfect, Kendra
0: Hendricks, something Hendricks. Hendrix. Yeah,
1: yeah. Have you seen that where where uh, she fakes her own murder?
0: No, no. Is that oh, the one where like, the guy, the actor in it, looks a lot like Harrison Ford? Is it that movie? Yes. Okay.
1: I I believe I believe so. But uh, uh, yeah, that that movie uh, that I've seen, you know, fairly recently. Uh, I think it was, it came out fairly recently or maybe a couple of years ago, pandemic time, right? I did watch it at some point during the pandemic because it dropped on Netflix. But uh, from that movie, I can totally see Blake Lively playing this with, with some good, she, she, you know, in that Ryan Reynolds way in that she'll play it straight, but there is some cheekiness to it. Like I always like the cheekiness she, when, whenever you see her interacting with her husband, you can see it, why they're a great couple. Right. Uh, in in that way, and and I think she's perfect casting. Oh my god, that is brilliant. Especially. Uh, uh... Now, are there extras? Uh, what kind of extras are in this? Uh, uh, take Deluxe a look edition? for you.
0: I, I, we should have a video so people could see it. But there's uh, yeah,
1: that's true. There's are a fashion there, uh, page. And-
0: all of the uh, all of the covers. I'll try to show you here. Folks that are listening sure. can't really.
1: There's oh the, look at the design
0: yeah well let me see there the you go there looks great there's a, another cover and then there's like yeah. um uh, a page of of like her fashion style coming up with her oh, fashion okay. in like a catalog format or um, wow seeing some of the uh, interior de- like the attention to detail that she has in this book where even the wallpaper it seems mm-hmm. so simple but it's such an important uh detail to have in the oh, background absolutely. So it it, it kind of yeah, made yeah. me feel like um, I don't know if you've seen the show Marvelous Miss Maisel. Uh,
1: yeah, I I did start watching it. I've been meaning to pick it up again, but it f- reminds you of it. Of
0: reminds that. me of that era, that fashion, that sort of um, mm-hmm. the, the the element
1: attention to the detail.
0: Yeah, that whole aesthetic. It's it's all here. The colors, everything about it. She just nails it. But then it it has that element of Kill Bill to mm-hmm. it. So it's like. If, Kill Bill in the 60s.
1: Yeah, I, I think I, I'm trying to remember in my, uh, I did sort of, you know, because on, on my Facebook page, uh, when I have time, I haven't had time since like the height of the pandemic, but uh, I do little, you know, little capsule reviews yeah, in terms yeah. of I just write down my thoughts. But I think I referred to it as uh, uh, LeFemme Nikita meets Mad Men. Yes, I think is the way I Mad Men is a
0: is a really good a really good reference exactly.
1: Now, yeah. have you read Joel Jones's uh, Catwoman? I've been meaning to pick it up. Like I, I, I think I have the first issue kicking around somewhere. But after Lady Killers, I was like, oh, what else has she done? And and yeah, well, I had noticed she had done a few issues of Tom King's uh, Batman Run. And in fact, I went back and realized that she had done, I think, one of my. Art wise, one of my favorite issues, which was the, I don't know, is it a literal cat fight between Catwoman and Talia Ghoul? <laughs> Would think I call so, it a literal yeah. or a figurative cat fight? Because yeah. it does involve Catwoman. That's right. Which is why I want to call it a literal <laughs> cat fight. But um, uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen that issue, but yeah, I've I I never have. seen Talia Ghoul that gorgeous, especially you know, uh in this in this catwoman versus Talia context. Uh I think Damian Wayne is, it figures into this conflict somehow. But yeah, it was it was a couple of issues uh I think you know partway through Tom King's run. Yeah. Uh which which again I I do remember being blown away by the the art and flipping and oh of course Joelle Jones. So uh, on my two-read list is is going to be uh, her Catwoman run, based on how great Lady Killers uh, Lady Killer was.
0: Yeah, lady, lady Killers is just blowing me out, just blowing it out the park. It's it's beautiful to look at. If you see the book and you think this might be good, it will be good. I can't mm-hmm. I can't recommend I can't recommend it enough. And it's been I've been reading a couple of things. Like my next read after this will be Velvet. So I've been going. Oh,
1: Velvet's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Steve Epting, uh, p- coming back to pair with it's Steve Epting, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, coming back to pair with his Captain America writer, uh, Ed Brubaker. That's it's, right. Uh, that's a gr- that's a great series as well. And again, it it mines very similar ground, uh, but in, uh, in that Brubaker style. I I. Uh, the way I would describe Velvet is uh. Uh, what if Money Penny broke bad?
0: That's right. That's right. Yes, perfect description.
1: How how much of Velvet have you read? So
0: I haven't. I haven't read any of it. It's right beside okay. me. Actually, as as I finish this, I'll pick that up. But I've mm-hmm. been I've been doing a female lead character kind of run for a bit. So I just finished Gail Simone's oh, uh, Batgirl returns from the New Fifty Two. Uh, I had no I, interest in it when it was I coming didn't make out. It
1: th- yeah, I didn't make it all the way through. How does it read? It? How many issues, and how does it read in one chunk?
0: Uh, the the uh, in the collection, there's about forty issues. Um, wow! But there's I 30, didn't realize that with that. Thirty four. It's a long run. Yeah, there was thirty four monthly issues, and there's a couple that are written, I think, by Marguerite ben- Bennett. Um, mm. It it holds up quite well throughout. There was a couple of moments okay. deep within the series where I was like, oh. I, you know, it had me at the edge of my seat where, like, this is things are happening. This is reading kind of like an anything can happen book. Uh, And then it kind of hits a lull and it just kind of sticks the landing at the end with really cool team up that kind of sums it up. But there is a portion of it near the end that is good, not great. And I felt like it Mm -hmm. it had moments of uh, some great stuff in it between the artists and uh, just some of the, I mean, Gail Simone writes Barbara Gordon well, whether she's Batgirl or Oracle.
1: Yeah. She gets Uh, it. Birds of Prey was, was really, really good. And again, I feel like Birds of Prey, probably the way you describe this Batgirl run, uh, uh, I, I, it's probably how I feel about her long extended Birds of Prey run. Uh, I'm, Actually, more mostly a fan of her Secret Six run, and uh, her Deadpool stuff is is a lot of fun. Gail Simone's Deadpool stuff.
0: Yeah, her Secret Six stuff was actually the first stuff that I read of hers, and I. Was shocked at how much I really liked um, a pro. It was. It's kind of like that. It's very. It's very Suicide Squad like. But it's. Oh almost, yeah, yeah. But it's almost like that hidden gem, the way a Guardians of the Galaxy is, where you don't expect this to be as good as it is, and it turns out to a be a bunch of
1: D list characters. And who'd have thought you'd care about a character like, let's say, the Mad Hatter, you know? And and uh, yeah, it. I I think it is the spiritual successor of of. Uh, the Suicide Squad, for sure, especially uh, Ostrander's mm-hmm. run. And in fact, I think she has cited uh, Ostrander's run of, of as being very uh, influential on her.
0: Yeah, he, he actually comes in for some fill-in issues, so it seems pretty seamless because he kind of gets... A Secret
1: Six? Yeah,
0: he has a couple of fill-ins I, there.
1: Wow! I don't even remember that at all. i have to go back and... Again, it's been a lot... I, I don't think I ever read Se- Secret Six like... You know, back to back in chunks. It was always a monthly read for me, so yeah. uh, I I should revisit that. I, I really enjoyed it, and, and just yeah, the way the the way they handled some of those those crazy characters. Like, uh, yeah, who'd have thought you'd care about you know, Deadshot? You know, is is a ringer character. Every he's kind of a fan favorite, especially from Suicide Squad. But who'd have thought like uh, uh, a Catman of all things, right? Or or uh, uh, Uh,
0: Ragdoll. yeah and it was it was uh really cool to see like the pairing of of a villain like Bane being involved in this family dynamic that she creates with these oh yeah these characters that you just can't like like they're all kind of gross but they become very you you, they become endearing as the story goes on it's executed well
1: no for sure and and one of the main characters was uh was it one of Razagul's, like, Other Daughters. Is, some, am I remembering that yeah, correctly? Yeah, I think so. Like, there's some tie-in with the League of Assassins. Yeah. And, and of course, Bane, that's how, how Bane ties in. But I, I did appreciate that it was almost like Spinal Tap drummers. That sixth member was always sort of rotating. Right. If, I, if I'm if i remembering correctly. At one point, yeah, it was the Mad Hatter. Another point, I, I want to say it was Bane, uh, that came in for uh, a certain period. But it was a good long extended run, as as an extended run of a, a comic goes. Uh, hugely underrated, hugely yeah. underrated,
0: and it sure. was a, it was a good creative time. I feel that was a a really strong time of DC Comics, where it tie, like the the thing that launched the Secret Six was a tie-in to. What would lead into uh, infin- infinite crisis?
1: Infinite crisis. That's right. They launched a few titles out of that. That's uh, the Bill Willingham uh, supernatural team. I think launched out of that as well. Uh, I think their intention was to to launch a whole bunch of different uh, uh, series. But yeah, the Bill Willingham had done a series. Starring like Blue Beetle and Detective Chimp and Ragman mm. as a supernatural team, and again, I don't know why I'm, I'm blanking on the, the, the name of that. But uh, and yeah, the it, it Salvation Run, I think was was it Salvation Run, uh, where all the supervillains were sent to another dimension, was what spun out of Secret Six.
0: They had something Am I think called that? Villains United.
1: Think? yeah oh yeah and then oh that's right where where everyone was had to join the secret society of super villains something like and that these were the six that didn't join them and so they had to go on the run
0: yeah yeah
1: that's right that was a great premise that was a great premise
0: yeah no i, I this was one of those series that um if they make an omnibus of i feel like i'd have to own it because it's, it's that yeah good. you know what it's quality I,
1: I think it was a huge sleeper. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember. I think in or around the same time, Greg Rucka was doing Checkmate as well. And I think Checkmate uh, by Rucka was quite good as well.
0: Did you, did you see, speaking of um, those type of characters that sp- spun out of Infinite Crisis, they announced that there's going to be a omnibus collection of Danny O'Neill's The Question.
1: Oh really? Okay, that's fantastic. Hopefully, it'll collect all the annuals and the quarterlies as as well. Uh, I think at one point I had mentioned that uh, I was really happy to go to the Dragon, mm-hmm. uh, a comic book chain in Wealth. Uh, Ty was Ty Templeton uh, was hosting a Q and A with Danny O'Neill, and and yeah, I'm I'm. Glad I had a, a chance to meet him. The question was very influential. I think at one point I told you, uh, like, what twelve-year-old goes out and reads Zen and the Art of Moto- Motorcycle Maintenance? And and yeah, it's because uh, uh, in one of those early issues of the Question, Denny O'Neill had had a recommended reading list, and that was one of them.
0: Oh, okay, very interesting. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's bad for the wallet. It's bad for the the space in the home, but uh, they're. Putting out a lot of stuff that has never been collected before. They're listening to fans. They're realizing that there is a whole other market for these deluxe sort of editions. Long of, runs. Yeah, of long runs. There's a definitely a market in these and like the Green Arrow. I just finished reading the first fifty arrows of Mike Grell's Green Arrow. Never thought I would. Uh, oh it, wow! It was one of the best things I've ever read.
1: Ed Ed Hannigan took over the art, right? Am I remember that, that correctly?
0: He, yeah, he was. So Mike Grell did the Longbow Hunter series. You know the which painted was stuff. gorgeous, beautiful, right? And the, then, the
1: and the colors who painted over it was was uh, yeah phenomenal.
0: Yeah, it was it was really good, and and you see that it's it's really a product of its time. Kind of, they allowed sure. him to you know do that more dark. Um, urban character you know they Mike I remember you telling me Mike Gold was you know that three-prong DC oh yes 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 and I remember you when I was reading the the um the intro to the book it was Mike Grell saying how Mike Gold sucked him in to to because mm-hmm. he had no interest to go to DC but because his good friend from first uh-huh. first was it first comics
1: first comics Where, yeah he was uh- doing
0: John Sable Mm-hmm. And so because his good friend had moved over, Mike Gold was really trying to figure out a way to entice him. He said the only, w- the only character that would appeal to, to Mike Grell would be um, Green Arrow because he was also a bow hunter, Mike Grell was. Yeah. And uh, he said, but you can-, you can make him the urban hunter
1: yeah and then that that moment where you know Oliver threw away all his like boxing glove arrow all his gimmick arrows and and just stuck with the and made it a mature reader's book like very like mature in in everything from uh, uh, the the you know using using an, a bow and arrow that is that is pretty violent uh, when inflicted on someone. Oh, yeah. You know, so the fact that he did show the reality of, of a bow and arrow on a human body, as well as, you know, a lot of the the sexuality as well that, that Grell uh, was known for his any work on, on Sable. So for me, uh, I was a fan of uh, uh, John Sable freelance over at First, and I guess that's the title he worked on with Mike Gold that brought him over. Uh, Mike Gold also brought Mike Barron. hmm over uh, to do the Flash, uh, Mike Baron being Nexus and the the co-creator of Nexus and Badger. Uh, he also brought over John Ostrander mm-hmm. for uh, Suicide Squad because John Ostrander was doing uh, Grimjack. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember who else was in that mix. There there were quite a there were quite a few. Uh, was Chaykin one of them as well? Because I know Chaykin did. Was doing um, American Flag, and then he did Blackhawk, and the Shadow, and I can't remember if that was Mike Gold or if Chaykin was already at DC.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be. Able, but the, all the other names, I, I can see all their books, having read mm-hmm. some of them too. But um, I, I, I knew that the Green Arrow book. You know, when something's collected and. They've done it all in in trade paperback as well, and there was a TV show. There's a reason why this stuff is being put in print and on the shelves. Yeah. But I didn't realize how much I would like it, and and because it was a mature reader's book, a lot of the content as far as plot points, not just so much of what he can show in in regards to violence or sexuality, but it was he's yeah. talking about you know real political issues stuff that some of it hadn't I don't think had yet happened. Like the Mm -hmm. Iran Contra. He did a lot of CIA. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He did a lot of CIA intermingling with drug dealers within Seattle. Mm -hmm. And he put it in in a real city. And there was uh, early on in the run, there was, I think, a two-issue. He did these two-issue stories. But everything that the characters were going through would come back. It was really, really Mm -hmm. well done. You know, even including some of the ridiculous things like the Yakuza, right? Inserting them into it with the story with Shadow and then it becomes like now, a... Go ahead.
1: Is Sha- is the Shadow uh, Prestige format series collected in these honorary buses?
0: It will be in the second volume.
1: Okay. And yeah. she had his... Uh, uh, she had a baby with Oliver, didn't she?
0: Spoilers, she does, yeah. She does have a baby. Uh, and that's, What happened
1: to that kid? That's not Connor Hawk, is it?
0: I don't think so. Uh, I, okay. I don't know. The, the kid is still... Um, I think by the time I finish the series, it's about a three or four year old child, and there's okay. um, there's a whole there's a whole story where he has to help her find her kidnapped child, and then there
1: realizes it's his child.
0: I don't think he realizes it. Oh wow! I think okay. who I think the one who realizes it is Dinah.
1: She oh realizes. yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh my god, that's right.
0: It was just such oh, a good book. Like there's,
1: I I haven't read it since the original issues, and and wow, that that, that was back in the the late '80s, right? Was yeah. that run? Yeah. Wow.
0: Starts in '87, and <laughs> um, I read up and I read up until '91 with the omnibus, but.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Dennis Cowan, I think, ends off the book. He's the last artist. In Does it. he really? Yeah. There's there's Ed Hannigan. That
1: intrigues me, actually.
0: Ed Hannigan, Dan Juergens, um Who else shows up? There's there's a couple of other familiar names, but most it's mostly an Ed Hannigan and Dan Jurgens.
1: Because yeah, the, the, uh, the question and I want to say uh, uh, the ongoing Green Arrow series. Uh, I want to say started at the same time or within years of each other. And uh, Dennis Cowan would have done the green arrow because they had a yearly crossover green arrow and the question, mm-hmm. uh, in the annuals. So it is kind of neat that, uh, if, if, and when the question as a series ended, uh, if Cowan did go over to, to green arrow as the regular artist for a while, I, 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 I wasn't sure. I, was he the regular artist on,
0: he, he did. Green a, arrow for a while? Uh, he did a little run of issues. I don't know if he continues into the next book, but uh, Mm -hmm. the stuff that he does is, is quite uh, visceral because there's a, a whole Uh, storyline where Ollie is, he's the, what do they call him in, in the Denny O'Neill hard, hard traveling heroes. Is that the term? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they really Adams run. That's right. They really play into this where Ollie has a conscious of crisis and he needs to, he just runs away basically. For a year's oh, worth okay. of the story, and it and it is a year's worth of time because because Dinah, uh, a girl that they rescued together, who she hires to work at the flower shop. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. She she's you know telling her like you need to move on from Ollie. Like he's gone. He has not written. Yeah, yeah. He goes, It's only been eight months, and you realize like, oh <sighs> man, I've I've they're doing this in kind of real time in a way. Yeah. And um, he he goes basically walkabout. And he's in Europe. He ends up fighting the IRA. And then from there, he ends up in Africa and he's um, fighting poachers. Like It's a really interesting environmental story. And that's the ones that Dennis Cowan draws. It's, it's quite I the feel story.
1: Like he, I'm feeling like he was doing a lot of the same thing in Sa- John Sable freelance as well uh you definitely should if if you're loving uh uh, green arrow after you finish this series go over and check out john sable and see if he's not treading on a lot of the same territory
0: yeah i think
1: because yeah you're triggering a lot of memory again i haven't read a lot of these comics since the 80s but you're triggering a lot of memories that sort of i i and again i don't know which one you know uh wires are getting crossed in Mm -hmm. terms of which storylines were from John Sable and which ones were from uh, Green Arrow. But this is all sounding very familiar, especially the the girl they... And and the flower shot was called Sherwood Florist, wasn't it?
0: That's right. That's right. Good memory. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it Oh, I'm wow, jumping over. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Continue.
1: Oh, I was just going to switch gears for yeah, a sec yeah. if you wanted to finish off your, your Green Arrow thought.
0: No, I was... I. I I was just going to say that it fits very well into the – it reads more like a vertical book and it fits well. Like it has the black label, DC black label Mm -hmm. labeling on it and it really – Yeah,
1: the mature readers. Yeah,
0: it really falls into more of that sort of era of DC when they started to do vertical stuff. I feel like Mm -hmm. Green Arrow should have been there in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I and again, I realize, you know, uh, Vertigo was sort of defined as a more sort of a fantasy uh, horror kind of line. But uh, given where it would eventually go and, and doing, you know, more genre and crime yeah. stuff, I, I feel like, you know, they, they could have broadened it by bringing over uh, Green Arrow, the question, yeah. uh, the Specter, even, yeah, uh, were, were titles that were mature readers uh, DCU books that that didn't make the transition because they weren't part of the Karen Berger Art Young editorial offices. Like it was really, really based on fiefdoms rather than uh, even even though Ostrander was and and Grell, like all the all the first comics creators were working in in that realm as well, that mature readers realm yeah um i'm I'm actually surprised in in some ways that uh uh green i had forgotten green grell's green arrow specifically had lasted so long and and very close to the vertigo year in 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 and through the vertigo era uh uh, as a main stream dcu book yeah
0: 80 issues that's that's a good run
1: yeah that that is a run uh, we were just talking about Chicken and that sort of triggered another comic I've been uh, enjoying and reading. It's called "Hey Kids Comics." I want
0: to read that. And is there a trade for that yet? Uh,
1: the first, the first uh, series, there is. Yeah. So the second series just came back. And as a as a comics historian, I think you would get a lot out of it, especially uh, a part of the. I think I've told you part of the the fun for me is trying to figure out you know who these are thinly disguised. Uh, characters of in fact uh, Ron Kasman started up a a Facebook group where it's mostly just him me and him sitting there (laughs) discussing who we think is like you know other people have joined and joined in the conversation but primarily it's a it's a Facebook group between the two of us sort of uh, uh, figuring out which characters are are, uh, uh, thinly disguised versions of of real creators and then uh, which are amalgams because there are a lot of amalgam characters but there's a lot of incidents based on you know uh, uh either either real events or uh rumored events right in terms of like uh, there was one comics creator who who you know supposedly when he didn't get his paycheck uh grabbed either uh uh grabbed someone and and you know, hung, uh, was holding them out the window. That that kind of outrageous kind of story, and this is one of the stories that's uh, uh, retold in Hey Kids Comics.
0: What era does these. the does this book take place in?
1: Uh, it it jumps through uh, the first volume at least jumps through four different time periods. Okay. Or is it three different, uh, three or four? I, again, I can't. I, I'm trying to remember. I think it was like three or four different time periods. So it is jumping between like the golden age, um, the the uh, uh, I want to say like 1950s, uh, so 40s, 50s, and 60s, and uh, uh, the 90s. Okay. No, the 90s, I believe. Uh, 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 again, I'm I'm. It's been a while since I've read that first volume, and then uh, this latest volume is jumping through time as well. Okay. So I apologize if I'm confusing my no, eras, because no. uh, because the new the new series is jumping through time in a different set of eras than the other. So it's told in a very uh, non-linear fashion, which is fascinating. And he's got a, a cast of dozens. Um. The golden age through to let's say the modern age of of the 90s
0: that's interesting i'd be very interested in reading that i was recently i did i recently did two episodes with um inker steve mitchell who had done oh. work with john paul leone on uh, static and uh oh, wow. luke mcdonald and denny o'neill when they were doing their iron man run so he was I have to yeah he, he's going he did the um a documentary called king cohen about larry cohen the the film director he won an award oh, for it actually wow. so now his his next project he's going to do a documentary on um oh there's a, a character actor his name is wings wings hauser oh he's good wow yeah he's going to do a documentary <laughs> on him and then after that he's going to his plan is to do a Documentary called True Believers, where he uh, he he, was, he considers them the the blue jean gene generation of comics, where it was so all the nineteen
1: seventies, ki- uh, the dungarees versus the suits of the nineteen seventies.
0: That's right, that's right. So he uh, we talk all when about fandom
1: that. Takes over, yeah. He so we like the fans take uh, that that's covered. Like you're introduced to these. Uh, it wasn't covered in the original. Uh, series, but you are introduced to three characters. And again, we're trying to figure out who these three characters are, but likely they're, they're guys like Roy Thomas and, uh, and, uh, oh God, who was, who else was in that? Marv Wolfman, you know, the, the, the fans who, Corresponded through fanzines and then became Steve Gerber, yeah. Steve Englehart. You know the the fan generation, right?
0: Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, yeah, Jerry Len- Conway. Yeah, he was saying Jerry that Conway he was, was who I was thinking. Jerry Conway uh, has told, and they've all told stories. I've heard it from Len Wein, from from Marv Wolfman, and Jerry Conway that they would uh, go and do those tours at DC Comics and at Marvel when they could. And uh, Steve Mitchell was one of the kids in that group. Who would go for those oh. tours with them. Like he, he was that oh, next, okay. yeah. the, the I yeah, guess yeah. the the not as uh, mainstream name that was always yeah. there with those guys and working during okay. all that era. So it was very interesting insights and conversation when when he's talking about you know um, how much Denny O'Neil would pretty much watch every movie that was coming out and he'd go to the theater houses and watch <laughs> every kung fu film an action movie, and how... Uh,
1: Especially the grindhouses of uh, exactly. New York City in the 1970s, right?
0: Yeah, and he's a film historian himself, and he was just talking about just, just days that he would go out on a Friday afternoon with Frank Miller and catch a movie. Oh, wow. So it's like really interesting insights that that he's got and, and interesting takes of just the era of the crea- creativity and things that were happening. Neil Adams holding court in, you know, the in in the lunchroom, for instance, and, you know, everyone bringing their stuff on a Friday and showing their stuff to somebody and little little. um, uh, What's the word like friendly competition between Neil Adams and and Joe Kubert, Very cool stuff.
1: Well, we're on this topic uh, if and when you read Rorschach, uh, because there is some, I guess, real life comics history weaved into Rorschach. Okay uh uh yeah I, 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 we should totally loop back into this this sort of realm of conversation where we're treading it in terms of uh, uh uh real events that are are fictionally depicted
0: yeah no i li- I like that stuff and trying to you know pinpoint who that could be and what and who could be an amalgamation <laughs> of too I like that yes yeah, yeah. So, hey kids, well, comments. In,
1: in in terms of uh, Rorschach uh, they actually name Uh, the particular creators involved uh, in that. And and it's weird because now they exist as characters in, I guess the DC Watchmen universe, but they, they can't have been, you know, they can't, they aren't, obviously aren't the real-life character because this is the Watchmen universe. Right. Where the, the superhero comics aren't in vogue, so they've kind of created... Uh, these these real-life comics creators uh, are best known for pirate comics, right? Because okay. in the Watchmen world, that's what's popular. So they've... It kind of... Yeah, it kind of broke my reality a little bit when, when you see these real-life comics characters talk about, you know, the pirate the pirate versions of their their iconic titles okay Um, okay yeah again it's it's tom king's either done genius bravura work or he's either jumped the shark on this one
0: yeah it was i
1: can't tell what yeah right now
0: that's but that's what keeps us reading right and then we can either want to throw it in the water or or you know keep it on our shelves it was like that moment in um fantastic four when like it's an audacious story to try to tell when Mark Wade sent them to heaven to find.
1: Uh, oh yes,
0: and, the, and, you know Ben.
1: Meet, meet Jack Kirby.
0: That's right. Yeah, it, it was. It, a,
1: I, it worked. Absolutely, and it wouldn't have worked if if it wasn't uh, under under lesser hands than uh, Mark Wade and Mike Raringo, where it was a love letter. Like they, it was a love letter, and they truly, truly felt uh uh you know that way uh expressed in terms of in terms of kirby and and the act of comics creation right yeah
0: yeah no it's it was it, that was that was a good move that that one was a moment that i don't all remember all of that run but i loved that moment <laughs> so much even though i had heard about it i always wanted to sp- to get to it, I wanted to read that moment because it was, and it was as special as you know. You heard peripherally that oh, this thing in the Fantastic Four Mark Wade did. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: Wh- and there was a good buildup to it as well. You have to, you have to set that up so that it's not completely out of left field. So. Yeah,
0: hopefully Tom King lands it with with Rorschach because I think I think I'm his hoping. his strong suit is twelve issue series maxi series yeah
1: although his although apparently his latest series is 8 issues supergirl he's he's so i i haven't read supergirl yet it's on my reading pile but i am interested i actually am interested because apparently it's uh, true grit okay okay he's he's doing a a, a riff on true grit yeah
0: the the Superman stuff he did with Andy Kubert, I was really excited for. I read it, I I enjoyed it, but it was kind of mm-hmm. there was the premise of it took me out of it where it was
1: yeah he was a he was being a little too clever I think and it worked as fun little vignettes but uh, collecting them all into you know one storyline it, it didn't quite work.
0: No, it, it, uh, I was hoping for more.
1: You were very much aware of what he was doing, like the whole boxing thing as a homage to you know Superman versus Muhammad Ali, and yeah, you know it it, it was it was very precious, you know. I, I liked what he was trying to do, yeah. But yeah, I don't think it all it, it quite meshed the way it 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 could have.
0: Yeah, because it
1: had it, the potential to.
0: Yeah, because it has that that premise of Superman would stop everything to save one person, and that's like ah. I can't buy that, but it's not far off mm-hmm. because the whole premise of Superman the movie is basically that, right? Yeah. So you know yeah, that, that sure. it's, not, it's, it's not off the mark, but when it's not executed just right, it's off the mark.
1: Yeah, and, and he is trying to revisit, like, certain nostalgia benchmarks as, as a result as well. And and it does, again, it's the nature of the way you, the story was told, right? But it does come off as a bit uh, disjointed. And, and uh, yeah, one has to wonder if handled, like, slightly differently, how well it would have meshed together had he been writing mm-hmm. uh, in in sort of the issue-by-issue issue format rather than uh, the the tiny, what is it, eight-page vignettes that he was forced to write in because they were the serialized in the Walmart 100-page comics.
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
1: It was like the one new story, the one new eight-page story you got out of 100 pages. So, uh, you know, bravo for them for trying that experiment. uh, uh uh, yeah, it'll I, definitely work for
0: someone. For for yeah. for the right kid, that that story will mean a lot.
1: Well, I think it probably would have uh, worked had I been, let's say, reading it in eight-page installments in in the hundred-page Walmart things that we didn't get in Canada, but reading them in issue form. And I'm imagining reading it in graphic novel form, and and you know I admire a lot of things about it. You know, yeah. I admire, uh, uh, you know, there's there's little self-contained bits that that I just loved in there, but trying to read it as one sort of coherent story it didn't quite gel.
0: Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, because we've been almost an hour forty five here. This is probably- oh wow. But um, we, I hope it there was feel
1: a like bunch that for of stuff you. we didn't cover. No. no, no, not at all. It went by quick, and there was a whole bunch of stuff uh, we we could have talked about too. Because I know you're you're on a Ed Brubaker uh, run, and and uh, I recently, uh, well, during the the first pandemic, I basically uh, yeah, I was so behind on my Brubaker stuff, my Brubaker Phillips stuff. I just went and read everything and caught up. So the fact that you had read, like, Incognito and then Fade Out as well, which which is still f- fairly fresh in my mind. So. We could
0: do a whole but, episode next where I finish off the first volume of Criminal and Velvet, and we could just talk Ed Brubaker.
1: You know what? Let's do a whole episode of Ed Brubaker because, yeah. again, it's very fresh in my mind. And I want to recommend – because the third issue just came out. I want to recommend the panel syndicate comic he's doing with uh, – is it Marcos Martin, the private eye guy? Yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, the
0: private eye guy, yeah
1: Yeah, the guy who normally is married to uh, Brian K. Vaughn Right has, uh, has par- Well, on because he's part a partner on Panel Syndicate, right? The pay-what-you-can platform But uh, Ed Brubaker and uh, uh, I hope his name is Marcos Martin Have been doing a, a, a series called Friday Which is Ed Brubaker's riff on Encyclopedia Brown
0: that's right. You told me about this. We that this we yeah, talked yeah. about. That's that that's interesting. Yeah.
1: So so when we go do our Ed Brubaker episode, I would love for you to uh, uh, go to Panel Syndicate and uh, read those uh, first few issues. Okay. As part of our discussion, because I'm dying to talk about that with someone. <laughs> okay. I, did you read Encyclopedia Brown as a kid?
0: A little bit. I I okay. I'm familiar enough with it to to know what the premise of it was.
1: Yeah, well, at least the, the the tropes of of Encyclopedia Right,
0: right. right. Um, before we wrap up, what are some of the things that uh, you're working on? Some of the things you want to promote, and let everybody know where they can find it.
1: Um, wow, we're, we're uh, the the thing again. Things ke- keep getting delayed. Uh, I know I've been. Basically promoting the Pandemic Kickstarter for the better part of the year, um, and and I just get delayed because I get involved in other Kickstarters. But uh, have a look. Uh, well, in terms of my own work, Pandemic uh, Will uh, Knock Knockwood uh, be coming out in the fall as a Kickstarter. Uh, Raid Four is actually going to be out of the gate. Uh, we're hoping in September. As a Kickstarter, and I'm doing a Ballyskillin eight-page story, which includes actually some augmented reality uh, stuff uh, storytelling that uh, Andrew Dorland and I do in the pages of Ballyskillin. So I'm I, and this was the first thing that him and I did together. This story has been complete uh, since uh, Dorland and I met and first collaborated during the pandemic. Uh, with the intention of submitting it to Raid 4. So I'm delighted the fact that this is finally going to be seen by people. Um, I'm helping uh, two things. I'm helping uh, our friend, uh, The Becca, Becca Kinsey, with uh, her Kickstarter, Gehenna, Death Valley, the Joe Schuster Award-winning graphic novel. So I urge people to go uh, find The Becca on Facebook. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's links on the Becca Facebook page to her Kickstarter pre-launch and hit that notify button. Uh, how much do you know about Lethal Comics?
0: Um, that it's Carrie Nord, Carl, Carl kershel and uh, Andy Belanger forming a, a trinity, if you will, of comic book. I don't know if it's just promotion or publishing or, or what the deal, mm-hmm. but you told me about it and I talked with Carl about it as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, I've been I've been helping them out with theirs, and uh, uh, yeah, Carl Kershaw had an amazing uh, Kickstarter with. Abominable Charles Christopher. I can't recommend that enough. It's one of my favorite comics. Uh, Mother Trucker, uh, Andy Belanger's, I uh, just helped him with his Kickstarter and that wrapped up and coming up next, uh, Carrie Nord of uh, Conan the Barbarian fame is launching his uh, Kickstarter for folklore. So, so uh, before the end of the month, keep a look out for that. Uh, Cauldron, more Cauldron is coming again. Uh, I'm not quite sure when, uh, but, Shane and Casey are collaborating on a cover together, and as soon as we have that together, we'll be ready to roll with that. Uh, there's going to be a Satanella special uh, spinning out of Cauldron Magazine that I'm really excited about, and I can't wait to sort of talk more about that. But uh, yeah, just head over to San Noir Comics and Toys. Uh, not today but usually on wednesdays uh casey and i have a little live draw show uh either on uh the artwork of casey parsons or sam noir comics and toys uh where we have guests and just uh chit chat every wednesday so
0: awesome yeah that sounds great those are my plugs awesome you're a busy man sam thank you for uh always making time to chat with me i always enjoy our time together truly
1: Always. This is this is fun for me and, and a good break from all the craziness. So thank you for a uh, good conversation, my friend.
0: Let's, let's meet up in person soon and go get some more food together.
1: Oh, absolutely. Hit BMV. Hit the record stores if you want. I'm down.
0: Let's do it. All right. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You have a, a great night, Sam. And rate and review the show. It always helps when people rate and review the show. All right, everybody. Take care. Stay safe.